This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello. Jim, it's Jonathan calling. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? How are you? How was your trip? It was wonderful. Make sure to keep listening after the interview to find out how to win a free book by this week's guest, Jim Gerritsen. Our guest today is a former pastor, former seminary professor, currently ministry director with Christian Union, where he serves students at Harvard Law School. He is a a friend of mine and also an author on a number of topics related to old Princeton. And so today he's taken some time to talk with us about one major figure in old Princeton, Archibald Alexander. So Jim Gerritsen, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here with you, Jonathan. Let's just start with a basic question. Who was Archibald Alexander? Archibald Alexander was a leading pastor, preacher, theologian in the early 19th century, whom God raised up not only for the purposes of ministry, but to also help to establish and found uh, what became Princeton Theological Seminary in 1812. Alexander served uh, as their first professor, teaching all the course curriculum during the first year, and continued there for the remainder of his life over the next nearly four decades of service that God had given to him. And so he played a very strategic role in helping to shape American Presbyterian theology and confessional churchmanship through the impact that he had on the hundreds and hundreds of students who studied under him during those decades that he taught at the seminary. Now, you mentioned that he began as a pastor and then transitioned into this role as the first professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. Was was there a sense in his pastoral ministry that he felt called to instruct students? What were the circumstances that uh, that transition revolved around? Well, prior to his call to the seminary, he had been serving as pastor of a large church in Philadelphia, and just prior to that, he had served as president of Hampton Cindy College in Virginia. And so he had a strong interest throughout the years in educational formation of, of young men, and especially young men preparing for the ministry. As he received that call to the seminary, while he wrestled with leaving the pastorate, he also believed that the strategic opportunities of being a seminary professor really outweighed the pulpit obligations that he had been uh, committed to, as he believed he could have a much wider influence in helping to shape the future of the Church's ministry and stability through being able to model and train for young men what it means to think pastorally about the vocation of gospel minister. What was his approach to ministerial training? Did he have certain emphases in his uh, in his work in the seminary, were there were there emphases to the curriculum, which I'm sure he helped shape? What, what how did he see ministerial training as working itself out? In particular, he had a title uh, focusing on didactic and polemic theology, but he also taught what we would call pastoral theology or practical theology. At least during the first year or so, he also was involved in the teaching of biblical languages, and so he was quite the polymath to begin with. He he was literally a one-man seminary in his competency. 
But he was uh, very committed, as was the school, in its defining documents to the integration of piety and learning so that the two would balance one another in helping to shape the identity of the young men as they uh, pursued the calling of the pastoral ministry. That issue was helping men understand what it means to be called and commissioned. They felt they needed to understand a pastoral theology of identity if they were going to be effective in the calling of the pastoral ministry. And so rather than focusing first on the mechanics of the application of biblical truth and how we preach, they wanted men to understand why we preach and what it means to be called and set apart uh, for the gospel ministry. And so really the training that he offered and the program as a whole in its early decades was very much centered around that awareness of the need to integrate faith and mind, uh, piety and doctrine uh, in the course curriculum, in the uh, mentoring model that the faculty provided, and the experience that the students had as they would seek to, as it were, uh, grow up in the likeness of their professors. Uh, everyone who was well taught becomes like their teacher, Jesus said, and they believed that it was important that the students be given those kinds of models so that they would learn what it means to have that proper balance between piety and learning. And so it was really a defining feature of the school. It was something for which the school was founded, and it was something with an intentionality that they sought to make sure was a part of the daily experience of the students, both formally in the classroom as well as in the uh, cultural community environment of the seminary campus environment. So how did so so you talked about the integration of piety. How how was how was piety integrated into the formal classroom uh, curriculum? I, I, obviously, the, the teachers, they're looking for teachers who are going to model this. Alexander is, is seeing himself as someone who models it. But how does, it, how does that work in the classroom? Well, it would certainly have been there in the embodiment of piety, what they would have referred to as eminent piety, especially in the faculty, so that students would have had an example similar to Paul saying, be imitators of me, my brothers. And and they understood the importance of that public personal model that they needed to give in the lifestyle of the professors. It also came out in the content of what they taught and how they taught it, showing the interrelationship between uh, doctrine and its application in the life of the individual in the church. It would have come out as well in the required readings that the students had. It would have come out as well in the recommended readings where they were encouraged to read books on uh, what we would call spirituality, what they called piety, Christian biographies that had something of the pulse beat of a spiritual biography and then better learn how to live out the implications of their upward calling in Christ. It would have uh, come out in student prayer societies, mission societies, um, really just cultivating an awareness of of a lifestyle commitment and a mindset to learning that was always going to have spirituality at the heart of how we think about what it means to be set apart for the gospel ministry. And so it was something that wasn't so much an attachment or an addendum as it was very much at the heart of the identity of the curriculum and the educational model that the uh, founders wanted the students to experience while there. Now, is is that primarily what you think uh, is that why studying someone like Archibald Alexander is important for us today? You've obviously devoted a great deal of your life and ministry to researching and writing on some of these figures, Alexander included. 
why is he important for us today as Christians, as members of a church, as perhaps ministers? Well, all Christian living and all Christian ministry is lived out in some place, in some time, in some period of history. And in that respect, certain things may be dated culturally, but there are many biblical principles that are transcendent, that arise above culture as they are spoken into that culture, that still remain of value and significance for the way in which we think about what it means to be effective in ministry uh, in our own time in which we live. And I would say that the Princetonians, because of their strong biblical foundation, have provided that kind of legacy that allows us to enter into the life of biblical spirituality through men who loved Christ and who had given their talents and their gifts into his service. Um, it's not often that one can find a godly man who is a gifted preacher-teacher and also an excellent scholar all in the same person. And the early Princetonians were those kinds of men. They lived in the fear of God, they loved Christ, they were gifted scholars, they were confessional churchmen, uh, they believed in the importance of propositional truth and the application of that truth in what they would have called its experimental application in a person's life. And so that balance that they provided between doctrine and life is one that still needs to be established and cultivated uh, in our own understanding of a pastoral theology of ministry. And so I think their value continues. It transcends the time in which they lived. And you need only read their writings to begin to experience the spiritual pulse beat that's there in the way in which they embodied um, the kind of example that men today can learn from for how to be an effective minister, and most importantly, a faithful minister who's in love with Christ and who has given his life in the service of Christ so that it's all about him and not about oneself. Jim, I want to give a book recommendation to our listeners, and it's the book that, that you've written, uh, Princeton and Preaching, Archibald Alexander and the Christian Ministry by James M. Gerritsen, Princeton and Preaching. But then I wanted to ask you as our last question, ask you for a, any recommendations you might have. If I am listening and I want to read something that Alexander has written, or maybe even read something perhaps about him and his character, what would you recommend? What is your go-to maybe primary source for Archibald Alexander? Um, well, it, uh, there would be two books that I could recommend, both of which will sound self-serving in the moment that I mention them. But there is a, an edited collection of Alexander's thoughts on spirituality, which I did, published with Reformation Heritage Books, called A Scribe Well-Trained. Archibald Alexander and the Life of Piety. It's about a 200-page paperback. It comes with a 20-page introduction to his life and his uh, biblical emphases, and then it gives you primary source selections of about two pages in length in a variety of categories. And so it's a great way to really sort of dip into Alexander's thinking and hear him firsthand. If you wanted a larger treatment of some of his most significant articles on preaching and pastoral ministry, I've collected a number of those together in a two-volume work published by the Banner of Truth in 2012. That set is called Princeton and the Work of the Christian Ministry, 
And volume one is largely devoted to Alexander and his colleague, Samuel Miller. And it's about five or six hundred pages worth of primary source material, most of which has been out of print until the present day, but was brought together, uh, and uh, Banner was happy to publish it. It's very rich in value in helping men to understand a pastoral theology of ministry. And so those would be the two places to go that are now available in ways that they would not have been a few years ago. Yeah, great recommendation. A scribe well-trained is extremely accessible. Like you said, you can sort of dip your toe in, and it's it's organized by, by different topics, and so uh, very, very easy to get into. Well, Jim Gerritsen, we could talk longer about Archibald Alexander, and we have, but for now, thank you for your time, and I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been a privilege to be able to talk about one of my heroes of the faith. May God bless his ministry in the present. Amen. You've been listening to Theology on the Go, a podcast from placefortruth.org. Place for Truth wishes to be thoughtful and accessible and is based on the conviction that the gains of the Protestant Reformation retain their potency and ought to be maintained for the health of Christ's Church. Because of the generosity of our friends at Banner of Truth, we are offering Jim Garrison's book, Princeton and Preaching, to a few of our listeners. Go to the podcast page at placefortruth.org to enter for a chance to win. And listen next time to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.